Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. This year has gone by incredibly quickly, but it's always nice to pause and take stock. What's something you're proud of in 2024 so far? What's something you still want to accomplish this year? I know I'm guilty of falling into a routine and not always thinking about the bigger picture, but as the great Ferris Bueller once said, life moves pretty fast. If you don't stop and look around once in a while, you can miss it. So it's crucial to take a moment to celebrate your wins and make adjustments for the rest of the year. Therapy can help you contextualize your progress and set achievable goals for the next six months. As you surely know by now, it's not only for people who have experienced major trauma. Therapy is helpful in all kinds of ways, including learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. If you've been considering trying therapy, check out BetterHelp. It's fully online and was specifically designed to be flexible and customizable to your schedule. To get started, just fill out a brief questionnaire that matches you up with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Take a moment. Visit BetterHelp.com FilmDaily today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash film daily. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for Tuesday, June 1st, 2021. On today's episode of the show, we're going to be talking about the latest film and TV news. My name is Ben Pearson. I'm the senior writer at SlashFilm.com, and I am joined on today's episode by Slash Film Weekend Editor, Brad Oman. Hey, that's me. Brad, it's just you and I today. Uh, we're you know easing back into the week after Memorial Day weekend. Hopefully, everybody, all of our listeners out there had a great uh, holiday weekend and uh, let's just talk about a couple news items today before we wrap things up. So let's kick things off with a potential uh, sequel to Cruella, the new movie that is uh, available right now. Brad, what's going on with that? Yeah, so uh, Cruella had a pretty decent weekend at the box office. Uh, didn't do quite as well as A Quiet Place Part 2. Uh, that could very well likely be because the movie was also available on Disney Premiere Access. And so people were able to see it at home instead of going out to the theater, which some people still aren't comfortable with. Um, and so Disney hasn't necessarily officially ordered a sequel or anything like that, but director Craig Gillespie was asked about the possibility of where it might go since, uh, the movie itself does leave, you know, this, uh, dangling thread of continuing the story of Cruella and this new form, uh, of the villain who is played by Emma Stone in this live action approach to the, the 101 Dalmatians character. Um, and so the the movie itself, you know, reimagines Cruella so that she's not actually this dog hating maniac who wants to skin Dalmatians. 
Um, we won't assist, I won't say how or anything like that, just because you can watch the movie and find out for yourself. But it does introduce the idea uh, in a post-credit scene of potentially reframing uh, the original 101 Dalmatian story and how we perceive uh, of Cruella so that she's not quite this insane person. Um, but before we get to that, the Craig Gillespie talked about what he would like to see from a sequel. He's not contracted to do one yet or anything like that. Um, and even though there's this hint at leading into 101 Dalmatians potentially being told again uh, with this new Cruella, uh, it sounds like Gillespie wants to dig more into her as a character because um, he said, uh, quote, I feel like we've only just met her. I'd love to now see the full blown Cruella, fully loaded. She's managed to get the support system around her and she can really expand on her brand. I'd love to see where that takes her and how you could almost uh, destroy her from inside out if she's not careful with all that power. Uh, so it seems like Gillespie thinks that, you know, there's a lot more that we can explore about this character other than what we uh, already know about her from this origin and from where we, you know, think that maybe she's headed. And it seems like there's some room here to, for them to maybe play with an entirely new approach to that story, uh, especially based on the, the credit scene from the movie. Okay, so Brad, I have to uh, admit that I watched this movie, but I did not realize that there was a post credit scene. I totally missed that. So I'm going to ask you to spoil that now. So if our listeners are interested in uh, watching Cruella and, and not having that spoiled, I would encourage you just, just to fast forward for uh, you know a few minutes on the podcast. But I really want to get into this because I, I completely missed this. So hopefully this is you know giving people enough time to like dive for your your podcast device and uh, and fast forward. So now that with a, with a full spoiler warning in place, what happens in this post credit sequence? Uh, so Cruella um, ends up giving two Dalmatian puppies to Anita and Roger, and these are the two characters from One Hundred and One Dalmatians uh, who are the owners of Pongo and Perdita, the um, the Dalmatian dogs who eventually have a litter of puppies after Anita and Roger meet and fall in love with each other. Um, these two characters ha- are set up to have a little bit of a history with Cruella in this movie. Um, and so this is kind of a change of pace because Pongo and Perdita were not given to these characters as uh, gifts by Cruella in the original 101 Dalmatians. And so uh, along with the puppies, there's a card that's, you know, indicates that's from Cruella, Cruella and it says, see you soon. So she has some kind of intention to return, whether it's to maybe get these dogs after they're fully grown or, as we've seen in the original 101 Dalmatians, uh, get the puppies that they have. (laughs) But at the same time, that, you know, uh, assumes that Anita and Roger are going to get together and their dogs will get together and have these puppies. So there might be the possibility of her being the one who initiates this relationship between the two in order to be able to get these puppies from them. Man, that would be pretty dastardly. Yeah. It seems like a long way to go just to get some Dalmatian puppies. Um, (laughs) And it also raises the question because the movie makes it so that she's not this, you know, dog killer that she she doesn't want to, you know, skin dogs or anything like that, at least, you know, at this point in her life um, that what would she want with those puppies if that were the case? So yeah, it's it, it certainly stands to shake up what we know about the, and I can't believe this is afraid I'm about to say, the 101 <laughs> Dalmatians mythology. <laughs> right, yes. Um, but, but, you know, it's clearly this is a new approach to Corella, and so it would stand to reason that we'll get entirely different, you know, adaptation of that original story. Yeah, because it takes place in a different time period and all that stuff. So I, I'm kind of looking at this as like an alternate history kind of thing instead of a, a direct you know i think originally this was billed as like a 101 dalmatians prequel and it's like it this story doesn't 
the the story of the movie Cruella. It doesn't exactly lead into the animated movie 101 Dalmatians the, or the, the or the timeline. live action one. Right. Yeah, but it's not quite as um as clean as that. Um this Roger character. I remember Anita being in the movie. She has a very small role. She's a photographer. She she goes to school with uh, Cruella. She's seen as a, a younger kid. It, is Roger even in the bulk of the movie? I, do I did I just completely forget that that character popped up at some point? He is uh, the Baroness's lawyer, and now oh. and and he becomes a composer after things go awry with with wow. her. Wow, I totally missed that in the movie. I just did not even clock that that character's name was Roger at all. Okay. Uh, well, you know, you learn something new every day. So there's that. Um, all right. So let's move to our next story here, which involves, uh, AMC. So, um, you know, this was what earlier this year, it was announced that, uh, the Arclight cinemas in Los Angeles, which is like, uh, that runs the, uh, Cinerama Dome, um, one of the most iconic theaters in the city, uh, basically shut down. Um, they, they, announced that they would be closing for good. And um, the Arclight right now is is boarded up and on Sunset Boulevard and, and nobody is, is going in there. No, the, the theater is not in operation. But AMC Theaters announced that they are actually in discussions with the landlords who own the, those properties. Um, and so AMC could theoretically take over uh, the, the Hollywood Arclight, which is kind of um, wild to think about, uh, especially because the Arclight is sort of you know, it's it's one of those um, destination venues where uh, quality has always been, you know, at the, at the very peak of uh, of performance, and and it's one of those things that is clearly a, a major priority for everybody who works there. From uh, you know, keeping the place super clean and the presentation always being great, and they come out and like introduce the movie to you in person. It's it's basically the exact opposite of an experience that you would have walking into any you know mall and going to an AMC theaters, uh, uh, you know, walking into an AMC theaters cinema where the bulbs are often super dim and the presentation is not great and the masking is not great on the theater and um, you know the it's a little dirty and grimy and whatever it's it's. You know, AMC has been wearing the crown as the biggest uh, theater chain in the United States for a long time, and I feel like they've sort of gotten lazy at the top. And um, and instead of you know pushing things forward and trying to innovate and and you know uh, retain that um, that crown in the in the way that benefits the customers the most, I feel like they've sort of dropped the ball a little bit. So the idea of AMC taking over the ArcLight, um, I'm sure, sends a shudder down the spine of any cinephile who lives in Los Angeles. Um, this is not a done deal yet by any means, but um, AMC plans to raise $230 million uh, to, you know, help, uh, you know, boost the company. And and um, there's all this GameStop uh, stuff going on with the, the stock prices for AMC too, like earlier in the year when, when the whole GameStop uh, thing on, the, on Wall Street was happening, AMC got roped into that where the, the same sort of uh, traders and investors started pumping a bunch of money into AMC. So everything seems a little chaotic and sort of in flux right now. I'm not sure how long AMC is going to be uh, sort of flush with the, the kind of cash that they have right now. They said they've increased their liquidity and with uh, an increasingly vaccinated population and the imminent release of blockbuster new movie titles, it is time for AMC to go on the offense again. So um, yeah, Brad, any thoughts on AMC being the one to potentially buy this uh, very famous theater in LA? Yeah, everything you said about AMC is uh, accurate. I've been to you know a wide variety of them in major cities, and of course here in my uh, smaller area in Northwest Indiana, 
And they're just, you know, they're essentially the McDonald's of movie theaters. And so them taking over an institution that feels like it has a little bit of uh, class and respect for, you know, the exhibition of movies feels like a huge step down. And it's, I think it's certainly worrisome. I, uh, I personally don't have like a, an affinity for the Arclight because I've only been to, to it a couple times when I lived in Los Angeles. And uh, we have one here in Chicago, I think, but I've never actually been to it. Oh, um, wow. Yeah. So, you know, I, I worry anytime uh, AMC theaters is involved, you know, I, I hope that maybe since, you know, there is, there is a little bit of increasing competition because of how streaming is changing the exhibition model that maybe they'll step their game up and turn the theatrical experience into something a little bit more, um, you know, worthy of our mm-hmm. time. But, you know, I, I will simply have to wait and see. <laughs> yeah. I'm not like um, psychologically, uh, you know, fully against AMC as a company or anything. I just wish that they would step it up a little bit and and sort of show the the customers that they're taking this seriously, especially in, you know, in the wake of the pandemic when all movie theaters in the country were uh, hit, you know, incredibly hard. It seems like now is the time to sort of redouble your efforts if you want to put on a good face for the public and say, okay, we you know, we know you miss going to the movies, come to our business and we'll make that the best possible experience for you. That just seems like a no brainer kind of approach. And I have not heard anything like that from AMC recently. And and the idea that they want to buy uh, this theater, I guess, theoretically could be uh, them sort of trying to take a step in that direction. But if they, I don't know, maybe if, if that happens, I hope it, it rubs off on them in the, in the best way where they realize the the culture that was around the arc light and maybe sort of try to infuse some of that culture into the rest of the, the AMC brand as it were. So uh, we'll see how it goes, but um, all right. So our last story today involves a potential spoiler for Spider-Man no way home, which is coming out this year, which is kind of wild to think about. It's coming out in December of this year. Um, so I guess if you don't want to know anything at all about this movie, because we haven't seen a trailer or anything like that yet, uh, although I think there is going to be one coming up pretty soon, um, then maybe just uh, cut out of the podcast now. But um, okay, so so blanket potential spoiler warning for Spider-Man No Way Home based on some reporting that's come out recently. But Brad, tell us about these uh, rumors about who the main villain of that movie might be. Yeah, so we already know that Spider-Man No Way Home is bringing in uh, villains from the other Spider-Man franchises. Uh, reports have come out about Jamie Foxx reprising his role as Electro from The Amazing Spider-Man 2. Alfred Molina coming back as Doc Ock from Spider-Man 2 that Sam Raimi directed uh, so long ago. And uh, those have essentially you know, been confirmed in various rumblings we've heard since then, including Alfred Molina himself confirming that he's coming back as Doc Ock. Um, but we haven't heard yet who the main villain is and what the, you know, the, the story will be and how this, you know, comes to Spider-Man in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Uh, but apparently on the Snyder Cut podcast, uh, Collider reporter Jeff Snyder revealed that he has heard Willem Dafoe is returning as Norman Osborn slash the Green Goblin from Sam Raimi's original Spider-Man movie in 2001. Um, and this echoes things that we have heard recently on the in the rumor mill, uh, stuff that's been circulating around online that we haven't really approached because uh, knowing how this comes about digs into spoiler territory. Um, but I wouldn't be surprised if we learn the basics of this plot, maybe when the first trailer comes out. I'm not sure how deep they're going to dive and how they're going to tease, you know, this introduction of the, the multiverse for real this time. Because uh, as we all know, in Spider-Man Far From Home, 
Jake Gyllenhaal's Mysterio famously pretended that he was from another version of Earth and talked about the idea of the multiverse. But mm-hmm. now it's actually coming to fruition uh, in the MCU with Spider-Man No Way Home. Do you think that they'll actually address that? Maybe even in the trailer, like have Peter Parker say, you know, Mysterio was talking about the multiverse, but now it's real, like that kind of thing. Do you think that that, that kind of... Um, uh, acknowledgement is something that they're going to lean into? Or do you think that that could get potentially c- too confusing for like general audiences and they'll keep that sort of in the, you know, within the body of the movie. So like once you're in context, you can understand all that stuff properly. Do you think they'll, they'll, what, what kind of approach do you think they're going to take there? I mean, I feel like they're definitely, will have to do some expositional explaining of how this all works because, you know, there's a lot of general audiences out there who love the Marvel movies, but they're not necessarily well-versed with the mythology of Marvel comics and how the multiverse operates with parallel dimensions and alternate mm-hmm. version of characters and whatnot. Um, I wouldn't be surprised since we know Benedict Cumberbatch is supposed to be in this movie as Dr. Strange. If there's a conversation that he has with Peter Parker, where Peter Parker says, you know, like, wait a minute, I thought this was a lie that Mysterio mm-hmm. made up and strange explains to him. It's like, no, there are all these, you know, uh, multiverses out there that um, surround our world and maybe even a reference to, you know, WandaVision in there if if Wanda Maximoff has any place in what is happening and why these, uh, you know, villains are coming out of these other dimensions into the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Um, This is all stuff that we don't know because, you know, we... They've been very, very secretive, even more so, I think, than the other Spider-Man movies uh, with what's happening in this one. Um, and so it'll, it'll be interesting to see how it all plays out. And it does make us think that they might be leading to some kind of formation of the Sinister Six, which we haven't seen come together um, on the big screen before. Yeah. What do you think about the return of Willem Dafoe? What, what, um, I assume you uh, enjoyed his uh, portrayal of Norman Osborn slash Green Goblin back in the day. Oh, of course. He's a freaking maniac in that movie. And like just <laughs> the, the expressions on his face throughout the entire movie alone are just like they're mesmerizing and horrifying all at once. Uh, so, I, yeah, I can't wait to see him come back and especially interact with Tom Holland's version of, of Peter Parker. I feel like it's going to be a lot of fun. Um, you know, not to retread territory that we've probably discussed before, but the addition of yet another villain here, I think might give some listeners pause because I would say that one of the the problems with, uh, Sam Raimi's Spider-Man three, for example, is the, the too many villain problem, too many villains problem, right? Um, you know, sort of spreading the story a little too thin because you have all of these masters to serve in characters that, um, you know, are big, like famous characters that that fans care a lot about do you are, are you worried at all a little bit brad in the, in the you know the pit of your stomach that like you know you've got doc ock you've got electro now you've got green goblin you've got all these sort of um factors from not only the mcu but other you know spider-man properties sort of coming in together are you worried at all about the way that uh john Watts, the director is going to be able to sort of uh weave this web um i guess a little bit but i feel like the way that they'll probably establish these villains being a part of it will they won't have, you know, the usual um, large arc that they have to go through throughout an entire movie. I think each of them will roughly have the same goal in mind, and that's probably to prevent themselves from being killed in their own universes. Because uh, one of the things that Alfred Molina said when he confirmed his role is that it sounds like he gets pulled out of um, Spider-Man 2 uh, just before he's about to be killed 
in in yeah. that in that universe. So yeah. I would imagine that the the idea is that if they are forced to go back to their universe, that they will be killed, and so their hope is to stay alive. And of course, since they're bad guys, they're probably going to be doing plenty of things that will keep Spider Man busy. <laughs> Awesome. Awesome. All right. So yeah, Spider-Man uh, No Way Home comes out um, December 17th. Brad, it, doesn't it seem weird that, that that movie is coming out this year? It seems like, I mean, you said that they've done a pretty good job of keeping a tight lid on all of this stuff. It sort of feels like this movie is still, you know, a year or two away, but it's really not. It's wild. Yeah, I was just surprised by that recently because I, I had seen the rumors online of people saying, oh, there's a Spider-Man uh, no Way Home trailer coming out. And I was like, that doesn't make sense. Like, there's no way it's going to be that soon. And I was like, oh, it's just a month after Eternals. And they just had their first trailer. So I guess that does make sense. <laughs> yes. All right. Well, you can find more about all the stories that we mentioned on today's show at SlashFilm.com and linked inside the show notes of this episode. SlashFilm Daily is published every weekday, bringing you the most exciting news from the world of movies and TV, as well as deeper dives into the great features you can find on the site. You can subscribe to this show on Apple, Google, Overcast, Spotify, all of the popular podcast apps, and send your feedback, questions, comments, and concerns to us at peter at slashfilm.com. Make sure to leave your name and general geographic location in case we mention your email on the air. Don't forget to rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts. Tell your friends, spread the word. Thank you all for listening, and we will talk to you tomorrow.